see in an octopus's garden in the shade. He'd let us in, knows where we've been in his octopus's garden in the shade. I'd ask my friends to come and see. Episode 205 for December 2012. The Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast is sponsored by MailOrderComics.com. They have discounts that start at 38 and they go up to 75% off the cover price of new comics and trades. An example on this episode is on uh, Venom number 31. In this one, Flash says goodbye to Peter and Betty Brant in New York, and he heads off to Philadelphia, and he says hello to Toxin. The cover price, $2.99. Mail order has it for just a buck eighty-five. So check them out at mailordercomics.com. Welcome back, gang. We start this show talking about Spidey's co-creator, Steve Ditko. Because we know we can't be found. All right, uh, this one is going back, this next creator fight is going back to Spider-Man Amazing Fantasy 15. Uh, Ditko versus Lee. Evidently, um, they fought on the internet. <laughs> they fought in a letter page. They didn't fight. They they fought in the office, I guess. Uh, basically, since 1999, Steve Ditko, co-creator of Spider-Man along with Stan Lee, has been writing some f- essays. And he, um, I guess he, he does, I don't know how many books he puts out a month. It's it's like essays mixed with original art. Um, and uh, some of the main sites, like CBR, picked this up. And, and I've, I've actually seen this image of uh, one of the essays Stanley, I mean, Ditko did about Stanley. Uh, since it's an audio show, I'm going to paint a picture for you. Imagine two boxes. On the left is what Stanley created. On the right is what Steve Ditko created. And this is a piece of art that Steve Ditko drew. He says, Stanley's Spider-Man creation, in quotes, the name Spider-Man, and then a one or two page synopsis for the artist who must draw 21 to 24 pages of story art and panels. Dialogue must then be added, working from the artist's rough panel script. That's on the Stan Lee side. Now on the Ditko side is a picture of the spider, what Peter Parker's face looks like, the webbing, the spider light coming out of his belt, what the webs look like, the infamous suit. Uh, the web's going down at the front and the spider belt, etc. Then Ditko asks at the bottom of the two panels, is Marvel's Spider-Man comic book character a one-man creation or a co-creation? And then, that was in 1999. And if I remember he serves correctly, Stanley then wrote something that said, I, I consider uh, Stan, Steve Ditko a co-creator. And Ditko took offense to consider, I think is what the word was. Uh, the most recent thing to this is an essay that Steve Ditko put out in 2012, this year. Uh, it's, I don't actually have the book in front of me, but there's been a little preview uh, of the article where you can order his $4 book. The Silent Self-Deceivers. And Ditko, again, asked questions. Which Marvel insiders saw... No, know about Jack Kirby's five penciled Spider-Man pages. Who saw them and yet won't say, tell what is actually on those five Kirby Spider-Man pages? What kind of actual storyline indications of supporting characters, dialogue bits, type of hero costume action is shown, revealed in that Spider-Man creative idea? What are the actual Stanley Spider-Man ideas? Question mark. And then if I understand correctly, he goes on for another page or so about that. <laughs> so... Uh, 
What do you guys think of this? JR, this is your topic, so you start first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was about to say, yeah, we can discuss this in about five minutes, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> first of all, this is absolutely nothing new. Ditko has, Ditko has ex- stated exactly what those five pages had. Um, he used to write a, a series of essays with a Robin Snyder, and they published it in, in some relatively obscure journal called The Comics. And, and Ditko basically explains what he saw. Um, that, you know, what did he say? I haven't read that. Okay. Well, basically what he does, he's, he says that there, the, there was about five pages. There was a splash page with the character of Spider, Kirby's Spider-Man. And then he actually has kind of a drawing of how he remembered it. And it looks like a fairly generic, muscular superhero. Uh, then the story, the other four pages, and I'm reading here, the other four pages showed a teenager living with his aunt and uncle. The aunt was a kindly old woman. The uncle was a retired police captain, hard and gruff like Thunderbolt Ross. And he was down on the teenager. Next door... Mm-hmm. Or somewhere in the neighborhood, there was a whiskered scientist type involved in some kind of experiment or project. The end of the five pages depicted the kid going toward the scientist's darkened house. That is a Spider-Man given to me. That is the total of Kirby's Spider-Man creation. Uh, I mean, so he's pretty well explicitly stated what he saw and what was there. And, you know, he is he's more than once you know, has made the point that he designed Spider-Man's costume and that even though he says that, you know, Stan did come up with a synopsis for Amazing Fantasy 15, everybody who knows how the Marvel method worked, which has been confirmed, you know, even by, you know, John Romita Sr., Stan would throw out ideas, the artist would write the pages, and then Stan would go back in and dialogue. None of this is new. Everybody knows this. I'm not so sure what the point is of writing it now and then throwing a lot of, ho- all, you know, more obscure horse shit into it. You know, I mean, <laughs> what happened? Who said what? You know, and, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and Ditko has said, I don't know where the name Spider-Man came from. Uh, so I don't know who came up with that. Um, but, you know, th- this, I, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, again, he's not saying anything new. Why this is even being given any am- amount of uh, of real attention is beyond me. Um, frankly, I'm tired of the whole thing uh, because you know it's like Stan does either Stan doesn't remember or Stan is. I mean, I don't know if any of you have read the original history of Marvel Comics that Stan wrote, but definitely he gives the idea that all this stuff sprang forth from his head and then he assigned artists to it. Well, as we know now, that's not what happened. Um, so I can see. Ditko finally having had enough, but you know to to obscure you know to to you know obscure your story, you know with all these you know clever little things that you think is going to impress people, and then you know Jack Kirby's family has the balls to sue for Spider-Man when it's very apparent that nothing of what is now Spider-Man was Jack Kirby's creation. Although I do think, although I do think Kirby might have come up with the name because. When he, Kirby was partners with Joe Simon, there was a Spider-Man character, but it became the Silver Spider and then the Fly, and that's what Ditko thought when he first saw Kirby's pages. This is Joe Simon's Fly. So, well, you got to give Kirby and, and a look. Right next to it is the rest of Joe Simon's pants. But anyway, <laughs> you got to give Kirby a bit of credit for that impressive, amazing Fantasy 15 cover. No, 
No, you don't. <laughs> it's, I mean, that, you know, it, it's one thing, it's, it's one thing to, uh, you know, to draw a, a nice picture. Then it's, an, you know, it's another thing to say that you actually wrote uh, War and Peace, you know. Uh, you know, draw a picture of a soldier, and then it's like, oh, by the way, I came up with War and Peace all on my own. Um, no. Ditko's a very I, – I don't think any of us are going to wrap our heads around him, and he's 85. And you think this is his last attempt to set the record straight or ask more questions before he passes away, Jr. No. No, he, he's, you think he's going to go to his grave without getting his, his thoughts out there? Well, I mean, he's record. been weird all this time. Why is he going to change now? I mean, well, he's he's making people ask questions. Well, he's asking questions, and he's wanting people to make up their own mind, always, sort of like Slot did with Aunt May. No, he's always done. Look how I tied that all together. Yeah, Ditko <laughs> no, has always done that. For example, you know, in, in this picture where he's drawn like a composite of the uh, the Kirby Spider-Man to you know the the real Spider-Man, he goes, "Does two different costumes mean two creators, two creations, or still only one creator and creation?" In this issue, is it the case not of who created the idea of the name Spider-Man, but who created the published Spider-Man creation? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, go away. It's I, he, do you think he doesn't think it's 50-50? He thinks it's, what, 70-30? It's hard to tell what he thinks. <laughs> I know. He thinks, I, I think he thinks like, like, slot, or I said slot, but what I meant to say was Stan Lee's creation, like, contribution was practically negligible. And what really counts is the creative effort came from Ditko is what Ditko thinks. Because slot just put some words on a page that, you know, is just a scribble in the air, and Ditko made it real. I think that is how his mind is working through this. You, you said slot again. Against Lee. But it's wow. okay. Uh, I guess they're just so similar, I can't separate you're, you're, them. You're, you're, maybe you're swapping brains with Mr. Slot. <laughs> That's what the problem is. Slot created yeah. Spider-Man. <laughs> Slot created Spider-Man. Um, I mean, if Ditko really have... wanted to set the record straight, if he really wanted to set the record straight, all those years that Stan was basically claiming that he created the Marvel Universe, you know, all by himself, he could Ditko could have... Written a very uh, clear point by point, refuta- you know, refuting the whole thing. However, he's chosen not to. He's chosen to try to appear, you know, clever and smarter than the rest of us, you know, and you know, almost like almost like a kind of a serial killer type perceived cleverness. You know, I'm not going to tell you everything. You're going to have to figure out what I really mean. Hello, you know? like, like a Riddler. Yeah, like a Riddler. Okay. Maybe Craig the Riddler. <laughs> okay, can I get on this? Yeah, hit it. Hit it, Don. Um, now I I've actually like in the past like uh, five or six years or so, kind of like really I don't want to say research but read a lot about you know the creation of Marvel. Uh, I actually uh, checked out from my library Tales to Astonish by Ronan Rowe, uh, which is another one of those books. And uh, I've read a lot about the Stanley whole thing where you know he stole credit or whatever. Because to me for a while I just couldn't believe it because as far as I'm, I've been aware, Stanley's always been very generous towards. Uh, sharing creator credit with uh, the artist. But I remember talking to JR uh, on Classics at one point that JR says he remembers a time where Stanley very much was an attention, or at least, you know, a credit uh, taker. Now, um, uh, if you look at the comics journal Jack Kirby, that thing is very, and it has uh, interviews with Kirby and his wife, Roz. That thing has Kirby literally saying to a man's face, chapters after chapters after chapters about he created the Marvel Universe, he created Spider Man. 
he created the Fantastic Four literally all in one night. You can't. I would never believe this if I didn't like read this in a book, which could be forged anyway. Kirby said it or Lee said it. Kirby Kirby claimed that, and, oh, and okay. I'm, I am I reread this because I couldn't believe it. He claimed one day that he walked in there, saw Stanley crying on a chair as they were moving out furniture from the Marvel offices. Stanley said he could not come up with any ideas. Kirby said, I'll be right back. And then the next morning, he came up with the entire Marvel Universe. And I am not making this up. I'm not trying to – And I'll, on the first day, Kirby created the unit, Marvel Universe. Now, like, so I mean, it connects to Ditko in that when Ditko – Ditko's not saying he created the Marvel Universe. Obviously. I mean, you could argue about Kirby as a different subject, but – there is a common denominator in uh, what Stan Lee believes he created and what the artist believes he created. Now, I think it's telling that, like, you know, Dicko and Kirby were obviously the two-thirds of, uh, of the, the three parts that made up the Marvel Universe. But why hasn't John Buscema or John Romita or Flo Steinberg or anybody else refuted Stan's claims, at least in terms of creative content? Uh, now, I mean, I've, I really like Dicko as a creator. I actually did, like, a diorama on Dicko. Uh, when I was an art major my freshman year, but in reading a lot of like you know his mind and really kind of studying like his how his mind works in terms of like you know his Mr. A character which is really effed up, I think that I think that with this being the 50th anniversary, I feel that like if if sort of what Jr. was going along, if Steve Ditko honestly believed that it was the right it's the right thing to do to tell people that he had more creative input in Spider-Man than he's been credited, why doesn't he just come out of his uh, ex- exile? Why does he remain? I, I think this is his way of doing it. But that's not. He's, but he's half-assing it. He, he needs to come out of the light. Go back. Go back on Jonathan Ross's t- talk show, and you know, say this is what I did and this is what I didn't do. And I think that like because he's a very much you know black and white guy. He's he's a, a objectivist. Objectively mm-hmm. speaking, if he knows what's true and what's not, why is he being so cloudy about it? Why doesn't he just be black and why, why does he be straightforward? So I think that like. A lot of it is hurt feelings, and a lot of it is, you know, because he only did the first 38 issues. I think, it's, I think it's a mix between credits and reputation and, you know, obviously decades and decades going along. So I, I don't think there's a definitive answer, but I think those are the roads down to finding the definitive answer. Well, I've got a nice announcement. Uh, next month, the very first podcast, we'll have an exclusive interview with Steve Ditko. Hey. Anyway, back to the topic. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I want to, before I, before, you know... Yep. The uh, uh, the old man loses his memory here. I want to address what Don said about what Kirby's claims. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, Kirby. I don't know if Kirby was just so eaten up by bitterness and anger and not being both financially and you know publicly recognized for his efforts, or if he really had psychological issues. But mm-hmm. you know, no less a, a, an ex a person than Mark Evanier who actually writes yes. a pretty good blog, I think, uh, and I can't remember. I didn't see it. Um, he has news, news from me. News from me, definitely. I mean, yeah. you should good. anybody who's interested in Marvel should read his, his section on Jack Kirby. And he was a close friend to Kirby's. But he, yeah. basically he said Jack would say, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, Jack would say all kinds of crazy shit that wasn't true. And he said Jack was a very poor interview, and he had such a stream of consciousness thought that one time he even claimed that he created Superman. And I'm not making this up. Wow. You know, I'm not making it up. He, Kurt, he, Evanier says that Kirby, just in his rambling ramblingness, claimed to have created Superman. He also <laughs> has ex- he. He also has explicitly stated that he created Spider-Man's costume and later had to apologize to Ditko for saying that. Now, uh, you know, that's a disturbed – I don't understand that. But Kirby has made those claims. So, 
this it's just it's just so sad. Perhaps one of the greatest creations in American mythology. There is no paper trail to speak of. I mean, to to really show how this thing was created. It is one of the the true, I guess, mysteries of of uh, American popular culture. Uh, is who created Spider-Man because the people involved are either dead or strange or senile. <laughs> and we're running out of time, Jr. to find out the mystery. We're, I mean, and we're not going to. No, we're not, and that's what eats of people. Just like we're not going to find out who killed John Bonet. We're not going to find out who created Spider-Man. No, it's true. Any other thoughts on this? All right, before we wrap that one up, I wanted to uh, share a little something in my research of the front page post I did of this, uh, which I did not know. Um, I knew that Ditko drew Rom, which was a robot that's silver and based off of, a, a, I guess, a Parker Brothers toy. I don't have any Rom issues. <laughs> um, but uh, Ditko took over the book from uh, at least a year to two years. And in this crossover, Rom 61 to 64 that Ditko drew, He's got a lot of the Avengers. He's got the Hulk. He's got, um, looks like uh, Roger Stern's Avengers run. He's got Alpha Flight in this picture in ROM. And um, the inker thought it'd be cute to alter Ditko's artwork, because Ditko refuses to draw Spider-Man, unless it's on that essay. That's the only time I've seen him do anything since the 60s. So the inker of Rom thought it'd be cute in the background to put a black suit of Spider-Man next to all the Avengers and the X-Men, etc. in Rom. And someone wrote into the letter pages of Rom and said, whoa, Ditko drew Spider-Man again. And then the editor had to say, no, that was just our inker having fun. Don't you think Ditko would be ticked (laughs) when he opens that book up? (laughs) Holy crap, what is a black suited Spider-Man doing in my artwork? I drew him with a red suit. (laughs) 30 years ago. <laughs> anyway, what do you think of that? that well, uh, images, they're, they're, they're I remember like, hearing about it, and I remember hearing through the grapevine that Dicko was pissed at the time. Oh, I would imagine. He has a right to be. And those images, though, those images of Spider-Man specifically are so, like, he's barely in the panel, so it's not even, not even like a full illustration. It's just sort of like, you know, his black face. And the yeah, sort of like, like everybody else is actually there, and Spider-Man is just in the back, like, "Hey guys, hey guys, can I come? Can I'm in a Ditko book. I'm in a Ditko book." Yeah. <laughs> I think Ditko made like a condition that when he went to work for Marvel again, that he wouldn't do Doctor Strange or Spider-Man. He would only do Speedball, yeah. Squirrel right. Girl. I got a quick Speedball story to tell you. Back when the spinner rack, I guess this is 88 when Speedball came out, I remember specifically going to like a, a gas station and I saw on the, on the shelf, uh, on, on the spinner rack, I mean, uh, I saw Wolverine number one and I saw Speedball number one. And I'm like, you know what? I've never bought multiple issues of a comic before. And I bet you, since Ditko is coming back to Marvel, that issue one's going to be worth millions, <laughs> like the first appearance of Spider-Man. So I bought two issues of Speedball number one, and also two issues of Wolverine number one. The Wolverine one panned out. The, the Speedball is probably worth less than the cover price now. <laughs> I remember him from the Clone Saga when I was a, when I was a kid. What? Because uh, he was, cause he, was he was in like what, what was it, like the new the new the Warriors. New, oh yeah, they, 
New Warriors. Ben Riley's bestest pal, right? Yes. Oh, Speedball eventually got cool, but under Ditko, He's it was the, not. He, he was the, like, uh, trigger for Civil War. One Steve Ditko thing that I forgot to mention, and um, ask Eddie D'Angelini about this, and it's funny because he mentions that now, like, his name gets dropped at least once an episode. But I'm shot yeah. the clones. Yeah, I remember... He mentioned, like, and this was this came about while he was working on the Stanley documentary. Nothing will probably ever come to this, but apparently, like, there's a possibility of a future Stanley Steve Ditko collaboration. I remember reading that or something like that because Stan was asked at a con or something. Actually, it was at the Chicago convention I was at. Someone asked about Ditko, and they said, um, "When was the last time you saw him?" And I think he Stan said it was like 2000. And I guess he was in the Marvel offices or something. And they were amicable to each other. And they said, uh, we should do something together. And Ditko agreed. And Stan says, I, I haven't heard from him in 12 years. So that was the last time he saw him. That's He shared that story at the convention. Yeah, I would well. probably drop dead of shock if Stanley and Steve get Ditko actually work together again. Specifically, Steve Ditko would work with Stan Lee. I can imagine the other way around. I can't imagine Ditko wanting to work with Lee again. No, I, I agree. You know, I mean, come on, Brad. How many times have you had a date and you told the girl you were going to call her back and you never did? I mean, that's, <laughs> what, this, that's what this sounds like. <laughs> true, true. All right. By his phone. <laughs> Let's uh, hit some movie news up. Uh, Gossip news. <laughs> Gossip. Gossip. We're talking about Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield. They're living in sin. Kevin, they're <laughs> they they uh, just bought a house together. Tell me about this, Kevin. Well, Brad, um, Kevin's <laughs> here, so report here. Kevin created a character that actually gives a shit about celebrity gossip. To talk to you about this. Um, <laughs> It turns out Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone had some sparks flying on the set of Amazing Spider-Man and found out they might like each other as more than just co-workers. So being really, really super rich and attractive people, they thought, hey, we've got $2.5 million. How about a home? <laughs> so today the two live in splendor in this spectacular home that's even got apparently a pool outside and some chairs on the inside. Gee, I wonder what furniture is like. And by day, they go onto the set of Amazing Spider-Man 2 and make out. Ryan Gosling, who has done two films with her, both in bed, stands to the side, crying to himself. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Very good, Kev. As an actor, here's, here's a question for you. <laughs> Jesus, I don't think I'm the kind of actor that needs to be asked about this. <laughs> As an actor, you—I I don't know if this has happened to you in li- in real life. I mean, have you have you dated? Have you worked with someone? Uh, hell, this could be open to anybody. If you work with someone, and then it becomes romantic, uh-huh. and then it falls apart. Actually, Bertoni, you might have this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No. No. No names, but yeah, it's um went horribly, horribly wrong and. Part of me regrets it to this day, and it's the continual twisting knife of my soul. <laughs> Anybody dates when they work? Yeah, I actually, I, I actually have a very bad habit of, I won't say habit, but like that completely ends up happening to me uh, to, the, to the point where I, I, I remember telling Josh like last year, like this is an unfortunate you, da- you dated a girl you work with, huh? Yeah. Then, well, I mean, I, and I wish the best to the, both of them, but uh, I, I wonder I if the she can go with me. I, I wonder if the sparks that we saw in Amazing Spider-Man 1, if they break up by number 2, 
will the sparks be less present? And I'm not an actor, Kevin. Is uh, that a possibility? It, I mean, it's a it's such a tricky thing because I mean, if you're gonna if you're going to be an actor uh, in a situation where you're you know romantically linked to another actor in a scene or a film or a play or whatever, I mean, to make it effective, you kind of have to fall in love with that person a little bit. You know, you have to find everything about that person that you could fall in love with so you can connect to that. And right. sometimes there is a bit of transference like that, and sometimes it can be confusing, sometimes it does become real. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, if <laughs> that, that is a danger. If they end up breaking up and they're still working together, it's it'll be a huge test for their acting if they can still you know be broken up but still see those things about each other to... Uh, to be in love with on camera. Or maybe it's just time to bring in Mary Jane at that point. <laughs> One of the weirdest examples is um, the Swedish group ABBA, which was like two couples, and they were mm-hmm. together for like something like 12 or 13 years. But like the last three or, the last three or four years of the group's existence, both of the couples got divorced because, like, the men, I guess, like, cheated on their wives. And, and Abba fan could tell me more. I know that one of them definitely cheated. And then, like, they married the, like, girls that they cheated with. So, like, that must have been awkward. Like, showing up to work, you know, like, kissing your wife goodbye in the morning. And then showing up to work with your ex-wife, who you have to sing a bunch of love songs with throughout the day. And then those ex-wives have yeah. to, like, sing with their ex-husbands. And then at the end of, <laughs> But the group went on for, like, you know two or three albums after the divorces or well yeah. the divorces one of them divorces was two or three albums the other one was like towards the end and they still got an album out afterwards and they still appear at like functions together it's it's really weird well and it's the kind of thing that happens especially on TV shows all the time because you have you know people that are together every day for like seven years sometimes one that comes to mind is Dexter yeah and that was oh, yeah. can I can we yeah. speak spoilers on season six since they're like in season seven sure. now? They can hit pause by now. So Hold on. They're, Tell me in the chat window when I can um, put my headphones back on because I don't want to hear this actually. Will do. Right. Um, but yeah, the really funny thing is that you know the guy playing Dexter and the guy play, and the girl playing his sister get yeah, married yeah. off screen and then they get divorced and at that time it's like the writers sat back and thought let's screw with them. And they do this stupid <laughs> season six storyline where she falls in love with her brother. <laughs> yeah. Is it her adopted brother. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But still, it's like they must have thought, we're playing brother and sister. It's okay. It was weird that we're married, but we'll never have to do anything since we're playing brother and sister. Oh, hey, guys. You're going to fall in love this season. Oh, you mother. <laughs> also, this is a chance for me to like endorse. And Well, I guess they've already cast Mary Jane. Because I still think that, like, Emma Stone would be a great Mary Jane. I do too. Because it's like, it's like, you remember the Problem Child movies where like the wife in the first Whoa. movie and the wife in the second movie were the same actress? <laughs> We've done 200 episodes. This is the first time the Problem Child has ever been referenced. <laughs> With John Ritter, nonetheless. Go ahead. No, I don't remember the different like, casting. Like his, his, his I remember really... the different casting of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air with the mom. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> but my point is that like, like the, the annoying evil wife in the first movie was one was uh, John Ritter's actual wife. And like his actual like love interest, who he gets married with in the second movie, is the same actress. And like they play two different characters. So I was like, you know, until Shane Melina Woodley or... The, the girl's name is. I was still like, well, we just kill Gwen, Gwen off and pretend that Emma Stone is Mary Jane. Well, apparently, J.J. Um, Abrams doesn't deal with that crap because uh, – did you watch Fringe? No. Uh, first season of Fringe, there was um, 
you know, a big major character in the show that was the the love interest of the main girl, and he died, but he because it's a show called Fringe, he was still in it quite often, and it turned out that the actors like shacked up, and he got fired. He hasn't been on the show since. Damn. Well, Here's the best pitch I've ever sent to Jr. You ready, Jr.? Here it comes, okay. right down the middle. Jr., you ever get your honey where you make your money? <laughs> uh, well, I was about to say, Brad, that uh, I have the uh, my life is the ultimate cautionary tale as far as dating coworkers because right. I slept with a coworker once and my. it turned out horribly. <laughs> I married. I married her, and I've had. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had two children with her, uh, but that—that that, that is the ultimate. That—that that, that boys and girls do not date your coworkers, or this will happen to you. <laughs> no points to the to, to the podcast. Listen, Sunny and Cher, like um, their show ended because hey, they got divorced, or maybe it was something else. But either way, the show ended. They were divorced, and they each had their own separate shows. And Sonny's show sucks, so, like, the ABC executives or whatever <laughs> networks, like, they hey, we need, we need to get Sonny and Cher, you know, to do a show again together. We need to do it. So they did. So, like, they they had a show about, like, this ex-husband and ex-wife working together, and Fine. it tanked in the ratings because it was really awkward to watch. And then they didn't reunite until Letterman in the 80s. Late night with David Letterman. Greg, I Greg and Marsha Brady jacked up off screen, but they were brother and sister on screen. I thought it was Mom Brady. It was. Anyway, <laughs> it was both actually. He went out on a date with Florence Henderson, but he um, had a few roles in the hay with um, his sister. If you'd like to see what Greg Brady is doing now, he's performing in Branson, Missouri. He has a show called uh, Brady Brunch, where you can eat brunch and watch him sing. Songs from the Brady Bunch. I kid you not. Type in Brady Bunch. That's horrible. <laughs> in, your, in your Google. And, and what's, what state is this happening in again, Brad? It's the, it's the show me the governor that died and we voted for him. Missouri, Jr. I know. <laughs> Branson, baby. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, other bit of movie news. Who's got this one about uh, Harry Osborne cast? That would be Jr. Why should I even doubt? That's a goblin <laughs> co- topic. Dane. Dahan has been has been cast as Harry Osborn in Amazing Spider-Man 2. He was in the movie Chronicle and Lawless, two films I've never seen. Don't see he Lawless. does not have he he does not have Osborn hair from the image on the front page of our site. JR, have you ever heard of this kid? I have never heard of this kid. I Me googled either. him and I had never seen anything he was in. <laughs> Except, uh, which we'll get to actually later in the show in recommendations, I saw Lincoln with my wife, and surprisingly he was in it. And I can't imagine why I missed him. He played second white soldier. I, I, <laughs> I just, you know, second white soldier. I, just don't, I don't know how I missed that performance. I really don't. It's, I mean, you know, and he's going to take it to the Oscars with him. Um, I, you know, jeez. You know, I, I guess, you know, I mean, I guess he ought to be uh, he, he ought to fit in with Andrew Garfield because he's going to be a 25 year old teenager, you know, and he can hang out with a 30 year old teenager and Andrew Garfield. Um, I, I, you know, it, although the pictures I've seen of him, it's kind of interesting because I know that you know they were talking about maybe Christopher Walls was going to play 
play Norman at some time, and I don't know, that probably just was talking out of somebody's ass, but he looks like he could be Christopher Walls' kid, <laughs> so yeah. I don't know, maybe that one is still alive, but... Uh, he does look like, that's the guy from Inglorious Bastards, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 I could see that, I could see that, yeah. but... And you know, and, uh, the Norman casting news is coming any day, I mean, it's, it's, it's coming down the pike, that's my opinion. Uh, we just well, signed I was up Jamie. About to say, let's compare who's been right more than once. I think you know Bertoni's <laughs> been right. Chris has been right. Uh, yeah. Brad, I don't know that you and I have ever been cited for our prognostication skills. Well, I, 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 pre- I predicted seven hundreds the last issue. Shut up. <laughs> I did. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Not even my wife will wear Brad was right. <laughs> T-shirt. <laughs> All right, that's uh, also Jamie Foxx has been confirmed, and Shailene Woodley has been confirmed as Mary Jane and Electro. I mean, Electro will be played by Jamie Foxx. Awesome. So, kind of hit that one up last month. Uh, what else we got, news-wise? Uh, I like this story. This is a feel-good, responsibility Spider-Man story. Is it a streaky story again? It's no streakers, no streakers. It's, it's Spider-Man doing good. Uh, these window washers at this Tennessee children's hospital thought it'd be a cool idea, and I agree. They, uh, their window washer with the American National Skyline, uh, they greeted the Le Bonner Children's Hospitals, uh, the kids at, uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. They decided to dress up as Spider-Man to wash the windows. Also, strangely, Cap was hanging out the window to wash it. But we had two Spider-Men and a Captain America washing windows, and there's a great-looking picture of this little kid uh, waving out the window of Spider-Man. And someone that works with kids, and I thought this would be an appropriate uh, topic, is Bertone. Isn't this just a nice thing to do? Well, I, mean, I don't know, Brad, because I read in the Daily Bugle that Spider-Man probably put those kids in the hospital in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, no, that's that's, so nice. that's cool. And there's lots of uh, costuming groups around the world that like do stuff like this, uh, show up at children's hospitals and charity events. And I saw the article that you linked in um, our little secret section of the board where we plan the podcast. And I wish it would have given more information about this. It, they just had like an Associated Press photo and um, uh, and then another one in a little caption. But Good on those guys, and those guys must have, I mean, can you imagine being a window washer? I mean, I don't know how exciting the life of a window washer is or not, but they got to have a blast showing up to work. That's gotta... I would be scared out of my mind yeah. with, not, with a mask not even on my face, clinging to the side of a building, and <laughs> washing a window. But still, that, that's just a nice thing well, to do. That makes, it, that makes it even nicer. But yeah, those guys got to feel like really good doing and. I've seen, like, you know, some of these kids at these charity events where the costumers, uh, cosplayers, what is going on? I hear a fan or something. Nothing important. Donovan, Donovan, he's switching minds with someone. Okay. Donovan, <laughs> Donovan and Chris have now switched minds because he wants to be right all Don the time. Donovan was right. Yes. <laughs> oh, of course. Um... <laughs> What was I? Oh, yeah, yeah, these costuming groups, they're great. And I really wait. Um, have you ever heard of the 501st? I, I have, yeah. I wish that somebody would start something like that, but for, like, Marvel characters. Like, and, and, and basically a bigger version of what the people did in this thing. These, um, The 501st is a bunch of cosplayers, and they've, they focus on Stormtroopers, right? Yeah, they focus on Star Wars, and they, like, 
everything that they do is for charity. Like, you know, they'll show up at birthday parties, they'll march in parades, they'll go to children's hospitals or the opening to events, but the costumes have to be, like, super accurate. And I think it would be cool if there was, like, there's so many people that cosplay as Marvel characters already, so they might as, someone might as well organize this thing, you know, and... I think it's time for you to dress up as Brady Brant and start one. What do you think? <laughs> I just had a mental picture of, like, <laughs> me as Betty Brant leading the charge, and it, it, it wasn't a pretty picture, because I'm way too hairy to pull off the oh, fancy wow. Betty Brant. But I still owe it to the audience, because I forgot. I, I, I It wasn't a bet, but I made a deal that if the Kickstarter thing was funded, uh, they could pick a character for me to dress up as. And nobody ever followed yeah. up on it, so I kind of got away with it, but I guess I got it. You're broadcasting to several thousand people right now, sir. <laughs> Uh, I didn't want to spend time. Anybody else have a comment about uh, such a nice Spider-Man thing to do? I just think it's really cool. It's absolutely nice because like, like that's one thing that Spider-Man is unique at wall crawling, which is why why was Captain America there? I don't know. Maybe he was ordering the two clones around. <laughs> Get back to work. Get back to work. All right. Okay, moving on to Spider Satellites with Kev. What do we have this month, sir? Well, once again, even though there are only four satellite titles, we've got six uh, issues this month because we got the minimum Carnage Omega one shot and a Venom point one. There's a point one every freaking month these days. Yep. So we're going to start off with Avenging Spider-Man number fourteen. Good looking art in this one. Uh, yeah. Well, there's that. Um, <laughs> so Spidey is fighting some mutant dinosaurs in the Savage Land when he's saved by Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy who need his help against the outside influences controlling the dinos. Spidey reveals his Horizon Labs colleagues have been kidnapped and has led to a cave in the form of a big scary mouth, and before formulating a plan, Devil Dinosaur attacks mutant dinos. Give it a C. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's just very average. There's nothing much going on here. Um, even the Gabriel Delato art, which I love Delato's art, but I was... When he was solicited as the artist, I was expecting, you know, painting like he always does. And we got a painted cover, but he actually just pencils the interior art. So it looks pretty good. It's just not as, like, jaw-dropping as I was expecting, so I was a little bit let down. Did he paint The Secret War? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much yeah. every time I've seen him yeah. do art, it's been painted art. He painted uh, the X-Force Sex and Violence miniseries, too. Well, that was pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love his painted art. Like I said, his pencils are good. Um, and had yeah. that been what I was expecting, I probably would have been like, "Yeah, these are great pencils." But I was just—I was expecting painted art and didn't get it, so it was a little bit of a letdown. I just don't think Spidey works well in the Savage Land. I don't think he works good in space either, for that matter. I don't think the Savage Land works well at all. I hate the Savage okay. Land. I never want to be in the Savage Land. Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy is whoa stupid. So, <laughs> you don't like the shot of the She Devil? Yeah. Uh, only in pinups. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how when I was in high school, I'd say you know, I enjoy Britney Spears as long as she's on mute. <laughs> That's how I watched Baywatch in the 90s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, for me, the less said about that, the better. Um, yeah. What else we got, sir? We're going to move on to Scarlet Spider number 11, which is part four of Minimum Carnage. Good Lord. Um, more tiny people. 
everyone but Cain and the Redeemer get captured, and it's revealed that the leader of the bad tiny people wants to use the symbiotes to kill God so he can become God, and the Redeemer reveals that if the microverse goes, so does the macroverse. Grade F? Wow. Uh, Dear God, will this crossover ever end? It's, this was the, uh, you know, obviously I've read it all at this point, but this was the point where I was like, damn, I can't take any more of this. Even the Scarlet Spider book, which I looked to for quality, didn't do a thing for me. I think you and I were texting after I was reading it. There's just too many characters in that book that you don't get, care about. Yeah, and, you know, all the yeah. tiny people are, like, completely undeveloped. And then in this issue we get, oh, the leader of the bad tiny people has a plan and of course by the end it doesn't even matter so good times i have a question for you and chris how does this compare to maximum carnage um it's shorter maximum carnage was better <laughs> it was better maximum I carnage read... was better this is more on the level of maximum clonage oh <laughs> wow yeah insult 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 to injury the injury was mine um, <laughs> then we get Venom number 27, which is part 5. Everybody fights, wow. Carnage somehow returns to Houston, and the microverse is saved. That's it. Um, it gets a C-, minus. it's an improvement over the last two parts, because it's actual just kind of, you know, Venom and Scarlet Spider fighting symbiotes and less tiny people, which is more what I signed on for, but it's still just a bad story. Um, and then we finally, finally, finally get to the end. And Minimum Carnage <laughs> Omega. Venom, Scarlet Spider, and Katie Kiernan return to Houston via a MacGuffin, uh, but are still <laughs> tiny, while Carnage is fully grown and has all those tiny clones, so it's Tiny Heroes versus Carnage. And the two eventually return to normal size, and Venom stops Carnage with a sonic bomb thingy, and Kane decides to take it a step further and puts a stinger through Cletus's eye, which apparently lobotomizes him, and Carnage ends up in a prison, but Cletus is brain dead and the symbiote is sedated. The freaking end. He'll get better. <laughs> yeah, I give this one a B-. minus. Um, is a big improvement. Still lots of nonsense and stupidity, but it's much more fun than we've been having, and there's very, very little of the tiny people. No pun intended. Once we got back to the regular universe, it got a little bit better, and that cover is amazing with all the little carnages. Yeah, it's all right. I um, thought it was awesome. Yeah. But it, uh, at the same time, though, I'm so glad, I was so glad to be reading this that we weren't in the microverse anymore and that stuff didn't matter anymore, but, uh, you know, on the other hand... I just read five parts of this microverse crap, and by the end of it, it doesn't even matter anymore. So could we we could trim it down to three parts if we got really little people. They took up a lot of space for being so little. Yeah, it was just bad storytelling. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The Venom and Scarlet Spider, you know, Venom Flash and Scarlet Spider Kane versus Carnage should have been a really fun story, but. When they put in the microverse and there was just no character to it, there was no charm to it at all, no fun to the microverse characters, it was just so laborious to get through. And there was no point where you really cared. So, I mean, overall, I have to give the crossover a, a big fat F. It actually almost, it, it made it, Scarlet Spider is a book that I look forward to every month, and it made it so I was dreading it. And that is a terrible, terrible thing for a crossover to do. And especially in such a young series, I would think. Yeah, especially... And, that, you know, that leaves them with a bad taste, yeah. Yeah, when you have such a young series, you want to bring in new readers uh, with a crossover. And this, for me, if I was a new reader, it would have driven me away completely because I wouldn't want to relive anything resembling this ever again. Mm -hmm. So, thankfully, we put that to bed. 
we have two more issues this month. Um, Ultimate Spider-Man number 17 came out. Usually you can go to that for some good times. Uh, Miles and Spider-Woman are forced to be a team in the Battle of Wyoming, but Spider-Woman keeps trying to get him the hell out of there. Despite that, Miles continues to be heroic, but ends up getting dumped in the middle of nowhere after taking out a war machine. And meanwhile, Miles' dad is rescued from S.H.I.E.L.D. custody by Hydra agents and seems about to join up before he sees them executing the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. And then Miles' mom returns home to find her husband in shock with a machine gun. Mm. I give this one an A. Yeah, uh, just good damn comics, and I'm definitely hoping to see more of Miles and Spider-Woman together, especially because Miles at this point doesn't know who Spider-Woman is. And if our listeners don't, um, Ultimate Spider-Woman is a female clone of Peter Parker. So that makes it a really interesting dynamic, and I'd I'd like to see a lot more of it. What and she did something either this issue or the previous one that I thought was kind of a neat uh, homage to the regular universe. She took the the name um, Jessica Drew, and then she went for a job interview or something, and then she was uh, what's Madam Web's name? Um, Julia Carpenter. Julia Carpenter. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a neat little because you mentioned last Spider Side Lights out. Bendis likes to do that with uh, the Maddox yeah. clone. Just, yeah. Yeah, and that's all over the place. Uh, she became Jessica Drew in uh, the original Ultimate Clone Saga way back when. Um, I, but Julia Carpenter is something new the last couple of issues. Thing. Where'd that happen? And, well, maybe, maybe it wasn't in Ultimate. I mean, I, maybe not in the original Clone Saga in the Ultimate Universe, but in the original Ultimate Spider-Man title led by Ultimate Peter Parker. Perhaps she did that in the Ultimates. I don't know if you read that book, but she she uh, changed her name for like a think tank or something for um, Jessica Carpenter. Yeah, I I just dropped the Ultimates book this month. Okay, so okay. It, what else? It we was got? so good. Hard too. I dropped all the Ultimate Universe except for Spider Man. I was trying, but that I hated the whole United We Stand, Divided We Fall crossover business. Captain America, the President. Yeah. Well, I mean. The- <laughs> First was created to be something a little bit more relatable, uh, uh, you know, the hot button word realistic. But now they've gone to the point where they figure we can do anything in the Ultimate Universe to the point that half of America seceded and Washington D.C. was blown up, and we've got you know mutant concentration camps, and it's, it's totally unrecognizable and unrelatable now, and it's not what the Ultimate Universe should be. But thank well, that's Bendis' Spider-Man book is always entertaining and it keeps on rising above that. that that's a problem I've seen at least as a long term Marvel reader the alternate takes on the characters the longer they last the more goofy they become because at the end of Spider-Man 2099 the world was flooded and they all retreated to a Gilligan's Island type planet and launched that 2099 World of Tomorrow book. are you kidding me with that <laughs> no I'm not kidding you they were like Gilligan's Island It was the la- maybe they went to last or, or the North Pole or something like that. I don't know where they went. It was the last piece of land on the planet after the Great Flood. And then the Manifest Destiny of 2099, they became one with a Celestial or something. I for, that's been de- literally years since I've read that one. But well, that's the what, longer that's, the alternate stick around, the more goofy they become. Well, that's like why I, I ended up dropping Ultimate Spider-Man for a while. was because I was that was a great book, and it probably, it probably still was throughout the Batley era. But it just got to a point where every single storyline had Peter Parker beaten up and unmasked. And it's like, you know, oh, we don't do this in 616, but that's not why we ideally read Ultimate Spider-Man. It's, you know, it's just a different take, but it's a different take of Peter Parker getting, like, you know, the Shaz back beaten out of him by up. I mean, when, when Electra beat him up, I was done. And it's just like, you know, they kind of take the whole point of, you know, 
turning it on their heads to have the heroes constantly lose. And, and generally, Spider-Man's the concept that works the best in alternate reality, since he's so relatable and, and uh, everyman hero. That's why Spidey 2099 is the one that everybody talks about from that universe. Yeah, that's so, why also Spider-Man I, is the, you know, the yeah. best self Prop- of that universe. Props to Bendis for making it work, too, because yeah. I, I think that's a solid thing. I agree. So, we got one more issue. Okay. Um, it's Venom number 27.1. Uh, thank God we're out of minimum carnage, so we can just do some, you know, Venom stuff. Uh, here we got Venom beating on some devil worshippers. Uh, visits Hellstrom in jail. Uh, checks his mom into a mental rehab facility. Visits a guy he used to gay bash in high school. Gets taken over by a demon and terrorizes one of the devil worshippers and his mom. And then tells Peter he's leaving New York. I give this one a B minus. Um, the art's great. The art in this issue is by Marco Cicchetto, um, who's get, doing guest art. He's been on uh, he's on some amazing Spider-Man during the Brand New Day era, so you would recognize his artwork. Um, Raven, if I remember correctly. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. The story's not terrible. Um, it just feels like it jumps around way too much, and it's trying to force connective tissue where there really isn't any to be found. And, of course, my annoyance with Hellstrom's characterization continues in this book, because now he's Hannibal Lecter. And uh, I also thought it was kind of funny that, you know, kind of like Norman Osborn just being put in a bed in a hospital by a window, here we have uh, Hellstorm behind some glass, which you think, okay, it must be some kind of Fantastic Four created negative zone glass crap that you couldn't possibly get through, and... Uh, Venom punches it once and it cracks and his symbiote's starting to snake through. That's what you put Hellstorm behind, really? <laughs> so yeah, there was a lot and, of that I didn't think worked. It just I think part of it was I was so happy to just be back to you know regular business after Minimum Carnage. It was it was a lot better, but it, it still had a lot of I don't really like this. In fairness to Cullen Bunn, the writer, uh, because you have to read, evidently, these form springs and these Twitter accounts to figure out what's going on in the actual book, uh, it's going to be explained, I don't know where, why there are multiple Hellstorms around the universe, Marvel Universe. Yeah, I, I have his exact quote pulled up. Do you oh, want okay. to hear it? Yeah, hit it. I agree. He said, uh, so somebody in an interview with Steve Wacker on um, Comic Book Resources asked, uh, since you're the editor of Venom, could I maybe get some insight into where Damon Hellstrom is headed in that title? He seems to have descended more into villainy in comparison to his other cameos in New Avengers and Journey into Mystery. And Steve Wacker says, I went right to the source on this one, Venom writer Colin Bunn. And Bunn says, that's a great question. I can understand the confusion. I think those kinds of discrepancies are often written off with some fancy chronological footwork, but that's not the case here. There is a story reason for the different portrayals of Hellstrom. There are There is an explanation to how he's been in two or even four places at once. It's something I'll address in an upcoming arc of Venom sometime after issue 36, I believe. Suffice it to say, Hellstrom is still in prison. He has betrayed everyone and put poor Flash Thompson through hell. Everything else, all the confusion is all part of his plan. So he's not done with the character, Kevin. That makes no sense. And what's even worse is <laughs> I had mentioned before how uh, it was not long before uh, Cullen Bunn started using Hellstorm and Venom that Hellstorm was being portrayed correctly in Journey into Mystery, um, where he was, you know, an exorcist and getting demons out of people rather than putting them into them. And then, like, the... The la- it was actually an issue of Mighty Thor, who was uh, the last issue of the 
uh, Journey into Mystery, Mighty Thor crossover, Everything Burns. Um, Hellstorm pops back up, like, screaming uh, that the descent is coming, which is the thing that they've been talking about in Venom. So I'm thinking, you know, we're building some connective tissue here and going to figure things out. And then I see in X-Factor, we've got this whole thing about Hell on Earth um, that's coming up in issue number 250. Um, so I asked, I'm thinking, you know, we, that there must be a plan, actually. That's amazing. And so I actually asked Peter David on Twitter um, if this Hell on Earth thing relates to the descent, which has been going on in Journey into Mystery and apparently Venom, and he just said no. <laughs> he doesn't want to mess with it. <laughs> so I, I, get, I don't know what kind of plan there is, but it, they're taking way too long to uh, reveal to me whether there even is one, and it's very annoying. Because, you know, as, when you're a fan of a minor character like Hellstorm or like Morbius, you're like always... Sandra Kane. Yeah, <laughs> you're always really happy to see them used and you know getting some page space, but it, it. But then when somebody just either has no idea what to do with them or decides to completely change them because they don't have enough fans to notice, it's the most frustrating thing in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, good good month, Kevin, or bad month? Sounds like with that minimum carnage, it wasn't too good. Uh, yeah, overall, this was a bad month. We had. Uh, you know, three parts of Minimum Carnage. We had a bad issue of Avenging Spider-Man. We had a mediocre .1 Venom issue. And then Ultimate Spider-Man is always kind of the standard bearer for being good. So, on average, this month is a C at best. Okay. Moving on to our other segment that we do monthly is Bertonius Bios. Who do we have this month, sir? <laughs> is it a secret? Well, I, I, you haven't confirmed who you're covering. I, know, I, think I, know. I, I, I was coy about it, but I mean, okay, yeah. did, are, are we going to pretend that we don't know, or are we? Well, the I, know. I think it's Shashan. Am I correct? Is it a unanimous Shashan? Yeah. That's who I'm guessing, yeah. Yes, yes, it, it is Shashan. Um, I usually try not to be, like, too self-indulgent with the characters that I pick for this, but there's a reason why it's Shashan, because she did show back up in this issue for the first time in three years, and yeah. before that, and before that appearance three years ago, that was her first appearance since 1987, so... Man. So she she fits the obscure character, but the weird thing about her is she used to appear a lot. The thing is, she didn't really do anything when she appears. Um, she goes back to the Stan Lee, uh, John Romita Sr. days, and in fact, John Romita Sr. said that he has an interview somewhere where he says that his favorite story is um, the one that introduces Shishan initially, where Flash has come back from Vietnam... And basically, everyone's after him because uh, a temple blew up while he was there, and Flash actually tried to stop the temple from getting blown up because when he was wounded, um, the priest of the temple and the priest's daughter, who who turned out to be Shishan, like, took care of him. But all these followers of the priest, who's in, like, suspended animation instead of, you know, dead, because explosions do that to you, and, you know, <laughs> Vietnamese people are magic, um, they, like... <laughs> They kidnap Flash, and they're going to do, like, some sacrifice ceremony to, like, because if they kill Flash, then, you know, the high priest will, like, wake up from this, like, trance that the explosion put him in. And Shashan's there, and Flash sees her. He's like, Shashan, the girl who befriended me in Vietnam, you tell him you were there. Tell him I didn't kill your father. And Shashan, the whole arc, speaks in the third person. She's like, that great Shashan, you know, blah, blah, blah. But basically, she she doesn't help Flash at all. So when they're alone, Flash is like, what the heck? And he's like, well, I'm just, she's like, I'm just the daughter of the priest. No one's going to listen to what I say. Anyway, about this whole sacrifice thing, she pulls out a knife 
raises it in her arm, and he's like, oh, I'm going to die. But then later on, after Spider-Man shows up, Doctor Strange, everything's worked out, she's like, no, 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 I wasn't going to stab you. I was just going to cut your ropes. I just raised it very menacingly like that. But that whole time, Flash Flash is kind of, you know, has his mind on Gwen during this arc. This is during the era where Peter thinks that Gwen is cheating on him with Flash for no reason. And, oh, someone typing? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I should I should have muted. <laughs> oh no, I just didn't know if it if it was something I need to know in the window. Like your like your mic is going in and out. But no, you're fine. But yeah, Shashan disappears at the end of the story. Where, like I said, she she's basically you know just a friend that Flash had in Vietnam. But when she shows up a few years later in Spectacular Spider-Man, Flash is like, oh, I've been thinking about you every day since you parted. You were the love of my life. You know, why did you leave without telling me goodbye? Um, she's at like a Chinese restaurant or something that Peter and Glory Grand and Flash visit, and the mean like owner of it keeps on sending the sending them away. And Flash wants to get to the bottom of it, and then Shashan's like, "Okay, I'll tell you the truth. The owner of the restaurant's my husband." And Jr. covered this story in Spider History sometime early this year, but this is. This is weird, and I used to be on a live journal community called Scans Daily, and the, the it was one of the mods on it was like actually an Asian American woman, and she said that she hated Shashan because her origin story was like so. Well, how could she not? Yeah, so Asian state like hidden temple magic powers apparently like. The Man Beast, disguised as the hate monger, came from outer space, gave these powers to Ahmed, who was Shashan's husband, um, but before he was her husband, like, her father, the high priestess, felt a disturbance in the force, told Shashan that, like, because only she had the inner light in her, she had to, you know, she was, she had to be forced to marry this guy to keep his darkness at bay. So the final bombs of the Vietnam War kill her father, who appears as a ghost to her, like in the sky, Obi-Wan Kenobi style. Like, remember, Shashan, use your lightness. JR covered the story in another Spider history, but needless to say, the cult's defeated. Shashan's husband dies. Um, so she and Flash are free to get together, and Shashan is free to become a prop for, the, for about, you know, five years or so. Every time she appears, it's like... She's always under Flash's arm, and I mean literally, like, Flash has his hand around her shoulders, and I I went through a bunch of scenes, you know, in the past few weeks in preparation for this. There are scenes where, like, the whole supporting cast is with Peter. Peter will acknowledge every member of the supporting cast except for Shashan. She is a prop. She doesn't have any lines most of the time. She doesn't do anything. When she is doing something, she's getting groceries for Flash. She's making sandwiches for Flash in that infamous panel. She, wow. Yeah. She is like a character of no consequence, but she appears at these supporting cast functions for a while. And eventually, a bunch of the supporting cast was written off. Flash drops out of college with his... Uh, um, veterans, like, benefits or something, and he and Shashan go off somewhere to play house. And when the supporting cast shows up again a few years later, this is this is where things get... Flash starts <laughs> complaining to Peter Parker. He's like, things were so great with me and Shashan. She was the perfect woman, you know, would do everything I say, make me sandwiches, devote herself to me. But now, now, Peter, she's taking adult education classes. She's, she's being more independent. <laughs> things are getting out of hand. I don't uh, know what to do. 
And this is like 1980-ish, right? Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah, man. Yeah, you saw the image. I put it on Facebook. Yeah, that's it's bad. Flash, you know, how dare my Vietnamese woman, you know, like stop making sandwiches <laughs> and go and go to classes and stuff. And, that's so bad. You no, know, and Flash, like he's. This actually sets up a lot of the stuff in, like, the Rick Remender and Colin Bunn thing of, like, Flash's abuse, cycle of abuse, because he's, like, raising his fist in the air, like, I'll show her, I'll show them all. And then one of the stupidest subplots of the 80s is, like, Flash is disappearing, and maybe they're trying to set him up, like, so that the readers think he's the Hobgoblin, but he's showing up at home all bandaged up and, like, hurt, and Shashan, you know, because she's Asian, her catchphrase is, by the Buddha, like she says when she sees and, wow! Wow! And Flash won't say where he is Wait, or what. Christmas. Yeah, man. <laughs> he won't say where he is or what he's been doing, and um, so Shashan gets worried, so she calls the supporting cast. And one of the few times that, like, you see her without Flash, they all get together for like lunch or something, so Shashan could say, "I'm worried about Flash." Harry and Liz are like, "Oh, you're just wasting our time. We're leaving." All right, Peter, you stay here with Shashan and hold her hand suggestively. That way, if Flash walks by the window at just the right time, he'll get the wrong idea. Which is exactly what happens, so Flash thinks that Peter and Shashan are having an affair, so Flash, as revenge, has an affair with Betty. Meanwhile, he's still, like, being seen with these nefarious mustache twirlers, you know, and getting beaten up all the time. What was Flash's deep, dark secret? What was he, why was he getting beat up? What was he hiding? Flash Thompson, former football player, did not want anyone to know that he was going out playing football. I don't know, in the 80s, I mean, this had to have been a red flag. I mean, JR, how can you write that stuff and not be sexist and racist? <laughs> I mean, because Josh was just a little kid in the 80s. I mean, you probably read this with sexist an adult racist, line. A little... <laughs> well, uh, like I said with the, uh, I have to confess, yeah. when I, like I said when I did the Sons of the Tiger thing, yeah. when I first read some of this stuff, um, it just went over my head. I never thought about yeah. it. And... It's just it's just amazing, you know, when you look back, you just go, how did I miss all this? But, mm-hmm. you know, I, honest to God, I think it's just kind of we we that's the way we were. We, we you know, it was culturally we finally we, we started to evolve. But, uh, yeah, I just don't get it. Wow. Well, it got worse before it got better, because eventually <laughs> Shashan decides to leave Flash because of the whole, you know, affair with Betty Brandt. And Flash responds by punching her in the face. And she gets captured by the Hobgoblin as a hostage, where the Hobgoblin proceeds to talk about how ugly she is. That's another one that I put on Facebook. Oh. He's like, I picked you from the crowd because you're a plain-looking girl who's not very smart. So... She's 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 saved yeah she's saved saved by Spider Man she's in the hospital and Flash goes to visit her so at first Shashan's like oh Flash it was horrible you know thank you so much for being concerned about me Flash wasn't concerned about her he's like woman I went back to our apartment and your bags were packed why are you leaving me just because I punched you in the face and cheated on you. And make me a sandwich while you're yeah. at it. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of this bed and make me a sandwich. And this is one of the most disturbing Flash Thompson scenes ever. <laughs> She's like, are you serious? Like, I'm in the hospital. I almost died. This is what you're concerned about? Get out. I never want to see you again. He grabs her. A cop comes in, says, get out. Flash hunches his shoulders, leaves, and says, I'll be back. <laughs> I'm like, oh, not while I'm here. <laughs> I cannot believe Flash ever came. But 
this actually goes, this is before like the whole alcoholic father thing was revealed. So this, this actually works with all that stuff, but dang. Well, he's, he's being a bully. Right. This is what sounds like the writer, or is it DeFalco? Oh uh, yeah. He's, he's yeah. being a bully. He's being the scum of the earth. He's being the ultimate bully. Yeah. My goodness. And the next time you see Shashan, it's when Flash is in jail. Cause everyone thinks he's the hobgoblin and he's begging Shashan. So you're going to testify that I'm not the hobgoblin, right? You know, cause we're cool. You're not mad at me for everything. She promptly tells him to go do stuff to himself. And he's like, Oh, Shashan, <laughs> beg me. Come on. I was just kidding. Come on. You're not still mad. I'm the kind of the whole cheating on you and punching you in the face thing. Those are just jokes, I swear. Come on, babe. She loses <laughs> hell and has that death stare with Betty Leeds. And um, the next time you see Shashan, oddly enough, is at Peter Parker and Mary Jane's wedding, which Flash and Betty also attended. So I'm like, God, that must have been awkward behind the scenes. But, you know, they're just comp panels. So. And the weird thing is, the way she's standing when Peter and Mary Jane are taking the vows, like, she's opposite Flash and behind Mary Jane. It's like she's Mary Jane's maid of honor or something, even though the two have, like, never done anything together ever. And then she shows up in a web of Spider-Man annual where pretty much everyone shows up, and they're like, these are Peter Parker's supporting cast. And when they get to Shashan, she's like, Shashan, for the first time in her life, she's independent, she's without Flash. Boy, what crazy adventures will she have now as a single woman? Well, no, because we never saw her again after that. <laughs> that was Which, okay. Keeping in mind everything that you know about Shashan and Flash's history now, that Greg Wiseman story, which... Uh, I'm sure some of you have seen the pictures. All of a sudden, Luke Ross draws her like a supermodel at Flash's surprise birthday party. She shows up. Peter and Harry say, surprise, she's your new physical therapist. Why would you do that to him? Why would you make yeah. physical therapists a person responsible for, like, so much that has to do with his body and health? Be a person that, you know, he didn't really end things on too good terms with. And Shoshana is still pissed at him. She says when she shows up, oh, I see you've been busy since you cheated on me and I dumped you. It's like, yeah. it, it, do you think this is a bad idea, Harry and Peter? That's why we haven't seen her in three years. <laughs> he never went to her. <laughs> you see him go to her once at the end, but it's like, this is it's yeah. a horrible idea. And um, when I interviewed Greg Wiseman in San Diego, and this is on one of the old Crawl Space episodes, I asked him, because I totally did not get this, like, why did Peter and Harry do this to Flash? It's like, of all the girlfriends that they could have got to be his physical therapist. I mean, I'm glad that they brought Shashan back. I thought it was cool. I thought it's weird that Luke Ross made her like a supermodel now, but I guess she got some work done on her from whatever, like, civil lawsuit she hit Flash with behind the... <laughs> <laughs> and, and Greg Wiseman's like... And I love Greg Wiseman. I love Spectacular Spider-Man, and I really love that backup Flash Thompson story. I just have some little problems with it, and this is one of them. I, his answer to me like, made me think, are we talking about the same character? Because he's like, well, Shashan was always the woman who stood up to Flash and who always made Flash be the best he can be. So she was the only one that could push him into doing all this stuff as a physical therapist. And uh, What version of Shashan is Greg Wiseman talking about? Who knows? My goodness. What, a, what, a, what an underused, abused character she was. My goodness. Well, and that's the thing. Her being the physical therapist, that was at least a good story set up because I was saying to Remender, hey, why don't you do something with that? When I saw him at Comic-Con and he said he was too busy doing stuff with Peter and Betty. 
And I mentioned it to Colin Bunn in the interview uh, that we did, too, and he just kind of, you know, rolled it off. But your physical therapist, being your ex-girlfriend, who you punched in the face and cheated on, meanwhile, your current girlfriend, although Betty and him have broken up since then, is the one who you cheated on her with. There is so much dramatic potential there that they never find. So... My goodness. And now she's on May's physical therapist. Maybe she'll have an affair with her. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, that was a good. That was a very good one, sir. You did a very good job. Any any teases for next month? Who are we gonna? Any who are you thinking about next month? Um, I have a pretty good idea of next month, and mm-hmm. depending on next month can go one or two ways, depending on if they fix a mistake that was in a preview between now and then. Oh, that's subtle. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Look at the preview of Amazing Spider-Man 700 for a clue of who Bertoni is going to focus on next month. Can you find the mistake? Also, can second you find mistake. the continuity error? Yep. What were you saying? I said also the second mistake in that preview. Marla Madison does not mention Spider Slayers. <laughs> And we'll wrap the show up right about there. Before we go, I want to give another shout-out to our sponsor, MailOrderComics.com. An example of their great prices is on Spider-Man Ends of the Earth softcover. This one reprints the big series of the past summer, and it collects Amazing, number 682 to 687. It also has Avenging Spider-Man, number 8. The cover price is $24.99. Mail order has it for just $15.49, which is 38% off the cover price. So check them out at MailOrderComics.com. Thanks for listening, gang. I'm your host and webmaster, Brad Douglas, for the SpiderManCrawlspace.com. <laughs>